0: Welcome back to TV's Top 5, the Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. I'm Leslie Goldberg, West Coast TV editor, and I'm joined by my friend, co-host and THR's chief TV critic, Dan Feinberg. Dan, how's things?
1: I know you are champing at the bit to talk about baseball, so let's get to headlines so that we can get to a little brief baseball talk. I promise the listeners, brief baseball talk.
0: Well, that sounds like a segue. In this week's headlines, let's start with renewals. Oh, boy, has it been a busy week. The Babysitter's Club will return for a second season at Netflix, which has also closed a deal for a third cycle of Narcos Mexico. Sure, why not? Over at Apple, Ted Lasso, everyone's favorite show, one of mine included, has scored an early season three pickup. Yay! Over at OWN, Ava DuVernay's Cherish the Day is getting a second season.
1: I'm not going to do this on everyone.
0: Okay. CBS All Access has renewed no activity for a fourth season and is changing it from live action to entirely animated. Mm -hmm. That would be crickets. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Meanwhile, at CBS Proper, the network is bringing back Big Brother for summer 2021, which will be important in a segment that we talk about later. Rounding out this week in renewals, the CW has picked up Coroner and Burden of Truth, the foreign acquisitions for additional seasons.
1: On the new series front, Apple is reuniting Neighbors stars Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne to star in the comedy Platonic. Netflix has inked a sizable deal with video game publisher Ubisoft and will develop a slate of TV series based on the best-selling game Assassin's Creed. Nicole Kidman, who's all over your television already, has set her third TV show at Amazon and will star in Things I Know to be True based on the novel of the same name at the streamer. Also at Amazon, the streamer has picked up Tell Me Your Secrets, the long-gestating drama that was developed at TNT. And Judge Judy is prepping a courtroom show for Amazon and IMDb TV. HBO Max and Cartoon Network are bringing Tiny Toons back for two new seasons.
0: Man, it's such a busy week. Over on the development front, the CW and the team behind Nancy Drew are collaborating to build a spinoff around Tom Swift, who in the new take is a black gay billionaire. The character will make its de- his debut in an upcoming episode of Nancy Drew's second season. Over on the cancellation front, Peacock's first big tentpole scripted series, Brave New World, yeah, canceled after one season. So their start has not been an easy one, to say the least.
1: I really thought that was a limited series anyway, but whatever. In casting news, multiple Emmy winner Uzo Aduba has been cast to star in HBO's revived fourth season of In Treatment, set to debut next year. The cable network has also cast Jessica Chastain to replace Michelle Williams and star opposite Oscar Isaac in the drama Scenes from a Marriage after the Dawson's Creek alum exited over scheduling issues. And yeah, I'm calling
0: her a Dawson's Creek alum. Don't judge me. Sure.
1: Nope. Aren't we all? And speaking of Oscar Isaac, because Sure. Why would we all not speak about Oscar Isaac? We were literally just talking. He's doing a show for HBO. I know. And I'm always happy to talk about Oscar Isaac. He's great. (laughs) The Star Wars actor is near a deal to top line Marvel's Moon Knight TV series for Disney. Plus, it is unclear if the character will be Jewish in this incarnation, but here's hoping. And at Netflix, the streamer has tapped 17 year old Jaden Michael of The Get Down to play teenage Colin Kaepernick in the scripted drama Colin in Black and White.
0: In executive news, Netflix has restructured the executive ranks under Bella Bajaria. She has streamlined her comedy and drama groups and added an executive to oversee overall deals. Elsewhere, former Will Packer Productions exec Sheila Duxworth will oversee content produced by the NAACP for CBS Studios. And rounding things out, WE TV president Mark Juris will depart the AMC Network's basic cable network that he has called home since 2013.
1: Phew. That's a lot of news for one. Yeah. week.
0: And we didn't even mention to me the, the biggest headline head scratcher of, of the week. And that's on the election front. Nickelodeon released the, re- the results of its kids presidential poll. And this is an obviously an unscientific poll designed to get to teach kids about the importance of voting. And the, the poll they declared Joe Biden the winner. But it followed a process in which the cable network detected more than 100,000 fraudulent votes in the informal ballot. It was targeted wow. by bots. A Nickelodeon poll designed to in- educate kids about the importance of voting was targeted by bots. Just se- let that sink in for a second.
1: <laughs> I've said it before: democracy just doesn't work.
0: Ugh. Well, with all that out of the way, let's dive into this week's top five.
1: Number one.
0: Leading off, Dan. Hello! The Dodgers have won the World Series. The Dodgers have won the World Series. The Dodgers have won the World Series. The Dodgers are World Champs. The Dodgers are World Champs. The Dodgers are World Champs. <laughs> I have not had coffee or Red Bull or anything. This is literally 32 years of excitement waiting to say the Dodgers are world champions. And it's not just the segment of me talking about baseball, but, to you know, look, it's important, you know, in, in a larger sense, the baseball season was able to go on and as much as TV productions have have found a way to, to get back underway, baseball was kind of the you know helped lead the way. The NBA obviously did it in a big bubble to finish its season, you know. But yeah, and and, and now just for the fun part, Dodgers win for the first time thirty two years. My favorite, the goat Clayton Kershaw has his a World Series ring. The Astros still cheated. Dan, the Red Sox dealt us the missing piece, Mookie Betts. And while he wasn't MVP of the World Series, he did, his, his fingerprints were just all over it. He was like the human highlight reel. Amazing catches. He had a big insurance run, home run in game six. Uh, he stole he, he stole a bunch of bases. He had aggressive base running. He wound up scoring the winning run in game six. And more importantly, Dan, he scored America free tacos, which if you were, if you missed it, it, it already happened. It was uh, the 28th, October 28th, but he's now the first player who can say he has scored America free tacos, not once, but twice. As
1: I said on Twitter, that's totally going to be the first line of his Hall of Fame plaque someday.
0: (laughs) I miss that. Yes,
1: I that is that is the true great achievement of of Mookie Betts. Uh, I, I have to say that while the Red Sox made a gigantic, idiotic blunder in not giving Mookie Betts literally any amount of money it would have taken to keep him in Boston. They did offer him money. They must have known he wasn't going to resign. And I appreciate that they traded him to a team that I was already perfectly happy to root for because Mookie Betts is everything that is right about baseball and everything that is right about professional sports. And everyone should love and revere Mookie. And I am happy that Dodgers fans warmed to him as quickly as they did, because how can you not warm to Mookie Betts?
0: Yeah, and and you got something for him in return. You know, Alex Verdugo had a really good year for you guys, and seems to have been embraced in, over in Boston. You know, but you know, we digress. You know, the, the other p- piece that we want to talk about here is, you know, look, it, it was just pure elation for me and, and a lot of other Dodger fans all over the globe to see them win, but. That was almost immediately tampered by news that Justin Turner, the heart and soul, the captain of the Dodgers squad, tested positive for COVID and was pulled after the seventh inning of, of the deciding game of the World Series. You know, this is a player that who is getting significantly dragged on social media. And for good reason, he, you know, was pulled from the game and, and told to quarantine. He missed the presentation of the World Series trophy, but then he wound up coming back out onto the field and per r- numerous reports, defying MLB security to do so. He posed for pictures with the team, took his mask off, was around family members and, and you know, obviously around his wife and, and other Dodger player family members. You know, the the piece of this is, It's beyond puzzling because JT is just a leader, both on the team and in the community here in L.A. He is also the player that at the start of the season came up with called a team meeting and came up with more stringent protocols, safety protocols that were better than the rules MLB had implemented. He that's who this guy is. And yet he's the one that tested positive. The entire World Series was held in a bubble and I just I have more questions than I have answers here. You know, they have this in a, in a stadium in Texas, which is a hot spot right now. And then they have it in, you know, where they had the roof open, which makes complete and total sense. But then there was a chance of rain and they closed the roof. It basically became a giant covid bubble. I'm yeah, I'm upset. I'm heartbroken for JT. I'm heartbroken about what this, you know, the, the bad, the black eye that this leaves on him and his legacy and how just how this tarnishes and my heart breaks for him, too, because he's the longest tenured Dodger position player. He has been through all of these World Series attempts and with this this amazing team for so long. And to be the heart and soul of this team and to, and to not be able to celebrate the, in, in proper fashion and then to be dragged through the mud for wanting to go out and do this. He's also a free agent right now. So his Dodger career, that may be it for him. You know, it, it's I hope it's not, but yeah it's just man nobody is,
1: nobody is dragging him through the mud for wanting to be on the field to celebrate. People are dragging him through the mud for ignoring major league baseball yeah. protocols oh, yeah. to do so so and
0: rightfully so, I'm not saying i I don't disagree. he shouldn't have been out there, especially with you know, you have Clayton Kershaw's young kids running all over the place, and everyone's out there with their family, and you know it it, it just it doesn't something doesn't add up to me. you know, he's such a good guy. And, you know, all the stories, you everything that you read about him, just think about, you know, if you're a, a sports fan at all, think about your favorite player and the person who just is like the leader of your team. That's JT. You know, he, you know, rewards veterans at every game, takes time out, does autographs for them, does a, has a huge foundation that he set up here. He's a local guy born and raised in Southern California. It just they're in a bubble. How does does he get covid? You know, but I guess I may have answered that. Like if you open the roof and you allow fans, I don't know. I don't it's know. A, it's a mess. So there's a reason Rob Manfred was booed during the presentation of the of the World Series trophy.
1: There is, but it had nothing at all to do with Justin Turner. Testing no, positive but, or COVID. Uh, but anyway. it had everything
0: to do with with what Rob Manfred is doing to baseball. But that's a whole other topic.
1: I blame Tungus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, in order to tie this in uh to the actual topic that we normally like to talk about on this podcast, namely the television, it should be noted that in terms of TV ratings, the clincher drew uh, 12.63 million viewers and did a 3.4 rating among adults 18 to 49. I believe that includes the numbers for Fox Deportes in addition to just Fox. Uh, And over six games, the World Series was down a whopping, Thirty percent from last year. It was an all-time low by a conspicuous amount, and there are a variety of reasons for that. Uh, the the primary reason, and we like to say this almost literally every single time, anything comes in with lower than normal ratings. Ratings are down for everything.
0: I mean, especially it's sports just, too. It's not just baseball. It's just that
1: simple. Ratings are down for everything. I, I think. There is no question that part of why the ratings were down is because the Tampa Bay Rays, who I still like to call the Devil Rays, they simply aren't a team with a national profile. That's that's just the reality of the situation. They are a a likable, plucky underdog team, but they are a team that barely has support in their market. And it isn't like Tampa Bay isn't a large media market. Tampa Bay is a very large media market. That's not to blame here, but it is definitely to blame that Tampa Bay simply does not have a national profile. And I think that if the World Series had been Dodgers-Yankees, which would have had the two largest media markets in the country, or if it had been Dodgers-Astros and we'd gotten to have, you know, a basically been able to play up the revenge narrative.
0: Too soon. Too soon, Dan. But I think it's still triggering. But I think people would have tuned in for that.
1: Whereas I think that at the end of the day, while the Dodgers not winning the World Series in 33 years is a story that is 32
0: years, Dan, 32 32. years
1: sorry, and a story that is important to your heart and important to the city of L.A. when you compare it to the relative title droughts that the World Series has had broken in the past couple decades. Whether you're talking the Red Sox, whether you're talking the White Sox, whether you're talking the Cubs, even last year with the with the National slash Expos, you're talking about a much longer title drought. I don't know that people in America really got into the oh, Los Angeles is just due for a title, especially since you know the Lakers won a title two weeks ago. Uh, so yeah, I think there were a lot of narratives that they just couldn't generate interest in and I I think that hurts it somewhat but really and truly end of the day ratings are down for everything ratings are down for sports and also Tampa Bay just doesn't turn out for their team so okay I promised this would be a short segment, and I somewhat lied, uh, but anyway. It's still kind
0: of is- short, Dan. Come on. <laughs> I, it, it's been 32 years. I, I think our listeners can can at least fast forward to our, to our next segment, because the rest of this episode, guess what? No baseball. And guess what? For the foreseeable future, until maybe there's a spring training next year, no more baseball talk. Up next, let's talk about broadcast TV.
2: Number two.
0: Broadcast scripted originals have officially returned. This is Us, broadcast's biggest show, launched its fifth season this week. Superstore returned, and a slate of ABC comedies, including The Goldbergs and Blackish, have all returned. All of these episodes were, of course, filmed during the pandemic with the new safety protocols. Dan, Though not every show is incorporating the pandemic into its storylines. Obviously, the Goldbergs is set in the 80s and can't do that. We did get a great question from Friend of the Five, Lynn, this week that inspired this segment. And Lynn wanted to know your thoughts so far on the shows that are making the pandemic part of the narrative. And if you've really kind of noticed a difference in the overall look and feel of these shows.
1: It's a it's a good question, and it's a question where I'm not sure if the answer is going to be an actual answer or if it's going to be simply one of perception, because something like the Goldbergs, as you say, it's set in the 80s, they're not going to work COVID into the storylines. So, you know, I'm watching an episode of the Goldbergs and they're flying to wherever they flew in the premiere. And my response is, Are they flying on a two thirds empty airplane because they don't want to have 75 people packed onto a set or because for some reason that was a thing that they wanted to do narratively because it would make it clearer and easier to do dialogue or whatever? So I don't know whether the things I'm noticing in some cases are actual things that are being done because of covid protocols or just things that are just easier for production. So something like the two thirds empty airplane on the Goldbergs or the fact that they've had multiple scenes on a college campus uh, in this week's episode where people were basically surrounded by at most three other college students. It, it felt a little sparse, but I don't know if that's simply an ease of production thing or a covid thing. Uh, I suspect probably a little of each, but probably more covid. Uh Goldberg's has had the advantage of being able of the early shows to not incorporate this this, whereas everything else I watch of the actual returning broadcast shows, everyone is is doing their covid thing. They're they're taking place in the real world. And and that means a lot of similar aspects in terms of. Treatment, like a lot of different jokes about finding out that Tom Hanks had COVID. So everyone's doing one of those. There were multiple shows last night and uh, and tonight or Wednesday and Thursday, depending on how you want to measure things, making jokes about the discovery that there were murder hornets. Uh, You know, a lot of people are doing what a lot of these quarantine shows did, sort of using the different touchstones of early quarantine nostalgia, as I've called it, to to kind of make references to a lot of similar things to, oh, no, the NBA is uh, is is shutting down or murder hornets again. And then when they want to be serious, that's when you that's when you bring in George Floyd. And some shows are better equipped to handle that. And other shows are less equipped. Uh, you know, NBC's Connecting, which was one of the shows that was done in, in Zoom quarantine style. I, I thought that the way that they wove in George Floyd and, and that was not particularly earned or good. On the other hand, the This Is Us premiere, you know, if you can have that information and that horrible news and allow it to be processed by Susan Kalicki Watson and uh and Sterling K. Brown, well, it suddenly becomes a different thing because when you have actors who are capable of processing this and actually showing their reactions and emotions, it really does hit home in a different way. And and I'm always up and down on This Is Us. It's a show that infuriates me every bit as much as it, uh, you know, makes me emotional, laugh, cry, whatever. I thought that the premiere did a very good job of tackling a lot of tough, tough stuff within the context of the show's own sort of soapy, not hijinks, but adventures. So I I thought that that show did a good job. I, I thought that the Superstore premiere, which aired on on Thursday night, it because it had a specific perspective, it didn't have to be, oh, ha ha ha. Wasn't it funny when we started all wearing masks? Wasn't it funny when people started running on toilet paper? You know, it, because of Superstore and its world, Superstore had a very specific perspective and a perspective on what it means when we say uh people at, you know, super at, at box store, big box stores and other stores are essential workers. And yet the actual people employing them still kind of treat them like garbage or like afterthoughts what does that mean and and I thought the way this that superstore handled it was terrific and that's not surprising because superstore is great at tackling issues blackish is is always good at tackling things um I, I'm kind of wondering how long blackish is going to be just in the it, we're quarantining and we're in the house mode but I mean that's what the lives of these people are and blackish is not a show that is suddenly going to start to exist in an alternate dimension in which people can go out in in public without face masks and where Los Angeles isn't still partially shut down, so they have to acknowledge the world they're in. Uh, yeah, th- this whole thing has been, it's been interesting to watch it play out. And I don't know that I have a, a boundless and internal interest because heaven knows some TV escapism is nice. And a lot of the shows that I like to watch haven't been very escapist so far. Uh, so maybe by that standard, the Goldberg suddenly becomes a much more valuable show simply because I can watch that show and give zero thought whatsoever to anything happening in the in the current world. That that's just where we are at this point. And I don't suspect that we're suddenly going to be in a different place in a couple of weeks. I, I think that, you know, there's going to be this this breakdown and dichotomy between the shows that exist in a real world and have to acknowledge the real world and the shows that have the latitude to return to telling stories and how that actually plays within their world. So a show that actually is set in a contemporary world that ignores the pandemic. So far, I haven't watched one of those yet. And I I don't know how that would play, but a show like the Goldbergs can do whatever they want. And so bless them. But so that's the that is my interpretation from a critical perspective of what I've been able to watch so far. But of course, as we've been covering for seven months, there's also just actual practical TV news coming out of this. So what was the TV news this week that was tied to quarantine and how production is being impacted?
0: Well, I mentioned at the in headlines that Big Brother is coming back in the summer, and that was a big signal that CBS is not going to have its scripted originals run through the the typically lower rated period. So this week we learned that CBS most of its dramas and comedies will run between 16 and 18 episodes a piece rather than the standard 24 area. So and you know when you think about it it, it that's it's kind of an obvious story but it's news nonetheless because you don't have shows like NCIS and and Blue Bloods launching during premiere week in the third week of September. Now you've got all of the CBS original starting the first week of November. So obviously there's not going to be, you know, the bigger question was going to be, are these shows going to stretch, going to run into the summer? Is this going to, you know, is this new reality that we're living in and, and the start, the delayed start of the, the new season going to be a way to let, these networks shift from the tradition, you know, this, this like September to May TV season that was created around when kids go back to school and when the, the ads for new cars and stuff began, will networks shift from that to, to year round since they are doing year round originals? And the answer, at least if you're CBS is no, it's, we're going to get back on onto our standard schedule. And that means unscripted fair, our big, their big tentpole during the summer is big brother. So you do the math; you're not going to have the same amount of episodes, especially when you take into account preemptions and news specials and things like that. Yeah, it's it's just not going to be the same thing. So, there's uh, on the flip side of that, ABC added six episodes to season seven of Blackish, which has been back on the air. So that's going to run 21 episodes. You know, it's a big question to see if how that's going to impact ABC's schedule. We haven't really heard what the rest of their strategy is going to be. Um, they've been a network that, that has been more prone to doing scripted at least into the summer, not through through the entire period, but that's a a great question if they're going to try and do something more year round and, and change that model a little bit. So, and if you'd like to go back and hear from this is us creator, Dan Fogelman, he was our guest last week and for more on Superstore from former star America Ferrara, She was the guest the week before. So definitely some great content that we've done there with some really terrific people. That brings us to our third segment this week. Up next, Jon Stewart is returning to television.
1: Number three.
0: This week Apple signed the former Daily Show host to a first look deal under which he will return to the anchor's chair for a weekly current affairs series for the streaming service. The show, which has received a multiple season order, will see Stewart explore a host of topics at the center of the national conversation and his own advocacy work. Each episode will be an hour in length and focus on one single topic. The show is expected to debut next year. Dan, it's a big deal and it's super interesting, at least on my side, because it's exec produced by former HBO CEO Richard Plepler, who, of course, inked his own deal with Apple last year.
1: Indeed. And of course, Richard Plepler presumably was the one who helped sign Jon Stewart to his HBO deal, which for several years was was hoping to bring some sort of animated, not live, but very close to timely news program to the air. And well, you you might be thinking to yourself, wait, did that ever exist? And the answer to that question is no, it it never existed. Nothing actually came from what was a very large deal in which, as we understand it, a lot of effort was put into figuring out a way to get the timing of everything correct. It's, It's notable and somewhat interesting that CBS All Access has tuning out the news, which is executive produced by this week's podcast guest, just happening to be saying it. Um, and they've actually done some of that. They've actually done some here's how to do a quick news segment with basic animation and doing it reasonably decently at times. Uh, no, it's it, th- this is an interesting deal because the way it sounds is basically like Jon Stewart is getting to do last week tonight, only with Jon Stewart. That, that's the way it sounds. The plan is to do kind of hour long single topic programming that enriches the conversation or something. There was some phrase like that that was in the initial announcement. Um, So, look, I I think the TV is better when Jon Stewart gets to be in it. And I think that subsequent things he's done, like that movie that came out in the spring that I don't remember the title of because nobody thought it was good and nobody watched it that I know of, uh, apparently not the best use of his time. So... Look, if Jon Stewart has a plan to actually do a number of semi-comedic, semi-human interest whatever specials for Apple TV, that's that's obviously a big deal for Apple TV. I just wonder if it would have been a much much bigger deal say 5 years ago and if maybe our need for Jon Stewart has has somewhat lessened. But I am sure that there are plenty of people out there whose need for Jon Stewart remains intact and uh yeah, I, I'll be I'll be happy to watch this. He's he's still important just because he hasn't been around for a while and the conversation has moved far, far, far beyond him. He can catch up, maybe.
0: Yeah. It, you know, John Stewart joins um, another show at Apple at Apple called The Oprah Conversation. So this is obviously Apple trying to make a bigger dent in a space that they've that they really entered in a big way with Oprah. So. Do you think that this is going to help get them more into the the weekly conversation, Dan, whether it's both in in our industry circles or beyond?
1: I think that they need something that does that. I think they've had a couple shows that have been in the conversation to variable degrees. And again, we don't know the ratings of anything, but on a purely anecdotal level, I, I feel as if more and more and more people have been discovering and loving Ted Lasso, for example, in recent weeks. But I uh, but I feel also in that respect that more and more people have been finding it since the season ended. So that was a show that aired on a weekly basis. And yes, there was conversation about it on a weekly basis. But it sure feels like the audience out there uh, waited, that the audience decided I would just as soon be able to binge this show in 10 half-hour episodes rather than watching it every week, though some people were surely doing that. So I don't know. You know, we don't know the numbers, so we don't know what Apple is going to think looking at how things have accumulated. But in terms of kind of this sort of hot-button, weekly, constantly changing programming, it's not the thing they've had so much. So it can only be good for them. I, I, I think it's a thing that they need, and I think it's a thing that... You know, we've we've talked about constantly that Netflix tried for a long time to get going and that they still haven't really succeeded at, you know, that, that the uh, Hasan Minna show that, you know, it did some of that, but apparently not with high enough ratings. So I think this I think this could be something that was of value for <laughs> Apple. But I think we're going to have to see is John Stewart going to be able to do it? I don't know, ten times a year, fifteen times a year, twenty times a year. You know, and I don't think that we have any answers to that at all. So this would all be speculation. It's definitely not going to be a fifty-two week a year, you know, hourly show. That's that's not what he wants. But is it going to be five specials distributed over a year? That might not be, you know, meaningful to anyone. It, It might be a thing that attracted fans, but it might not, you know, get people really jazzed for the idea of this as a regular thing. So. We'll see. It all comes down to the approach.
0: Up next is our showrunner spotlight segment. Number four.
1: With an election coming next week, and you may have heard a or two about it. Our guest today is Chris Licht, showrunner and executive producer of The Late Show with Stephen Colbert on CBS and executive producer of, and this is a long and cumbersome title, Showtime's Stephen Colbert's Election Night 2020 Democracy's Last Stand Building Back America Great Again Better 2020 special, which will air on election night. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. We know you've been a little busy just a little bit of stuff going on, but uh, happy to be here. So five days out, what aspects of democracy's last stand are freaking you out the most? And what pieces are you feeling actually confident about right now?
2: You know, what's interesting is, you know, we, we, <laughs> as you know, we did this four years ago and um, we have learned a lot. So we have spent an enormous amount of time preparing for all eventualities. So that has, I think, calmed our nerves a little bit. We are, we are absolutely over prepared, he said naively. Um, but, um, whereas we four years ago went into the night thinking, well, we have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen. There is no poll. There is no expert. There is no prognosticator. There is absolutely no one that can convince us that we know what's going to happen this election night. We are prepared for every eventuality. So um, I, I feel uh, I feel cautiously optimistic that we are we are prepared, and that is thus reducing the anxiety level um, that we didn't feel last time, but should have.
0: <laughs> so. You know, you made the decision to shoot the show from Stevens' quote unquote, virtual underground bunker rather than doing it at a venue with, you know, with safety restrictions and whatnot. Um, Were there any conversations about finding a place that would allow to do this with like a limited audience or something like that?
2: Yeah, Um, I, I will say we have sort of constant conversations about that, given what we do is meant for an audience. But if I boil it down Um, the conversations ultimately end with, in a world of comedy, if you have anything that's getting in between the comedian, Steven, and the audience, um, they're not gonna be able to enjoy it. And that thing is COVID. So really, no matter what you do, whether it's testing or socially distancing or anything, somewhere in your head, as an audience member, you're thinking, uh, well, did that test? Was that a false positive or a negative or what? And you just you just can't have that. <clears throat> so, also because it's a live show, you don't want to try something for the first time um, in a new venue or with a with something that you're not used to. One of the advantages of doing it now it'll look very different uh, than the late show, but the fact that we're doing it from the same set is very helpful because there that takes a whole level of uh, unpredictability out of it that we can really focus on what's happening um, outside of the theater and not what's happening inside uh, so the, that was that was sort of when what went into some pretty robust conversations about trying to find another venue and ultimately deciding against it.
1: Now I want to go back. You mentioned that you guys did this similar special back in 2016 and and I think for for many of us that was the special and that was the moment that kind of brought home the results of that election and and steven has talked very specifically about the the rush of emotion he experienced basically learning the result of the election and having to process it in front of a live studio audience what beats from that night stand out most in in your memory in terms of just how everything went down in 2016
2: Two things,
1: um, and I should point out, I've never watched it. Huh.
2: Um, I lived it and can't bring myself to watch it. Um, but two things that stand out is uh, Stephen does not wear an IFB, you know, uh, 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 an earpiece in his ear that where a producer can talk to him. So we really were at a disadvantage for something going completely not according to plan. Uh, so that that stands out a little bit to me. But the other thing, which we won't have this time, but the other thing that s- sticks out to me is that Stephen became just himself and he processed all of this devoid of a script, devoid of any kind of production value, really. It was it was a very, for lack of a better term, just a very raw um, relationship with not only the people in the theater, but the people watching. And... What stuck out to me was, wow, not all talent can be stripped of all of the accoutrements of entertainment and be relatable to the audience. Um, it's, it was very uh, remarkable to me that this person can be who he is on stage, um, and, and resonate so much in the moment and with And relating to what the audience was feeling at that exact time, because he was so vulnerable and he just didn't hold back. And, and everything that he was experiencing and feeling was at the same sort of level as the audience. And, you know, to go back a little bit to the first question about venue, you know, part of the calculus of staying in that room is like, that's where our audience is right now. They're at home. They can't, go out to a, to a theater, they, they can't experience a live show. And so it matches their emotional level a little bit. And, and in 2016, his emotional, his raw emotional, uh, feelings on display certainly matched what the audience was feeling. So that's really what stuck out to
1: me. Well, we saw what happened obviously on camera, what was happening, that we didn't see what was happening behind the scenes in those moments with all of the other people who, you know, you presumably had 20 to 50 people similarly processing this information in their own ways.
2: Well, we had, um, models that, because we were on Showtime, we thought we would make the most use of it. And we had fully nude male models (laughs) that were, uh, going to come out and, uh, and, uh, Put on their butts was uh, if they lined up side by side was we're with her <laughs> uh, that we were going to celebrate when when Hillary won, and I in my headset was hearing the production staff desperately erasing the writing on the butts and trying to write we're screwed, and 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 hearing that kind of happening. As this, and, and um, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever told that story, but that that is a thing. That actually happened. Um, and obviously, it didn't quite feel right, so it never actually made it onto camera. But uh, that was happening behind the scenes. And then just the inability to uh, communicate with Stephen, we had to wait for the musical act to happen. And that's when he and I finally, like, got within two feet of each other and I said... No more scripts, no nothing like everything we've planned is not going to work. Just go out there and and uh, and just be yourself. No more. No more comedy. Don't worry about being funny. Like just just how you're feeling, start expressing it. And so that was sort of the pivotal moment in the hour. If you'll notice, it was right after the musical act.
1: Uh, We need to go back here. So there was an entire team of naked male models backstage and (laughs) someone had to go. To each of them and tell them, OK, guys, not tonight that you
0: had to send them home. Well, yep. first they had to ra- erase I'm with her from their asses Dan, to get <laughs> the facts a- right. <laughs> but
1: somebody had to say, you're not going on TV tonight. That is a right. Now, look, they still got paid. They still got paid. <laughs> yeah. But um, put your pants yes. back
0: on, guys. Come yeah, on. But
2: there there was a there was a tie. Yes. I mean, we have we have that has still never been seen. We have a, uh, a bit from uh, Katy Perry making a speech to the men of America about how things will be now that there's a woman, woman in charge. And that has never been seen because, you know, Trump. But uh, we did give it to uh, uh, Senator Clinton. So uh, she, she does have it. And I don't know if she's watched it, but it was very funny.
0: I would love to see that someday.
2: Someday, exactly.
0: Someday, yeah. Um, you know, looking at, at at Tuesday, obviously I think we're all assuming that this year is going to be different in the sense that there's a very good chance that there will not be a result on election night. Having had the experience of, you know, getting a definitive result and, you know, obviously Stephen's reaction the first time around, how are you approaching the possibility that you may not have, a result of any kind on Tuesday.
2: We are going to swing at the pitches that are thrown, meaning we will we'll, we have lots of uh, writing and comedy lined up for different results in different states, and we will undoubtedly have a lot of results. We may not have the result, but then again, we might, because if Florida goes, um, then the whole mood will change. Right. So I um, We're we're not going to be faced with a situation where we're just sort of sitting there going, oh, well, we don't know. Like, no, you're going to know a lot. You may not know the final outcome. And, like, quite frankly, we're in the same situation uh, that news organizations are in of just sort of, you know, reminding people that it's okay not to know, that nothing nefarious is going on, that this is part of the process, that everybody just relax. And um, we actually um, are going to do something very cool uh, with CBS News that hasn't been announced yet. Uh, So it's a little bit of a Hollywood Reporter exclusive, but uh, we're going to be doing something uh, really cool to help sort of bridge that gap. Interesting. I don't know that there's ever been uh, a simulcast between a network news coverage and a pay TV election night coverage live.
1: Um, and that might happen. It may not, but it might happen. Interesting. Well, I think that there's sort of the general fear we have that that one presidential candidate or the other, but if we're being honest, really only one might jump the gun and declare a provisional victory. So let's say it's 1130 PM Eastern on Tuesday night and Donald Trump goes on stage and tells a maskless crowd that he's ahead in Florida and therefore has won. What do you guys do in that circumstance?
2: Oh, I think that'd be wonderful because as a not news organization, we can absolutely call absolutely call bullshit on it. And because it's on Showtime, actually call bullshit on it. Um, Whereas, you know, the news organizations, you know, which I did in my former life, you have to be somewhat down the middle on it. You have to say, yes, now he is saying that, but we should point out that blah, blah. No, we could just be like bullshit. (laughs) It's not a thing. Um, So that um, that actually would be exciting. Uh, Not good for our democracy, but it certainly would allow us to um, literally do what everyone would be screaming at the television. And I, by the way, I think that's the beauty of watching this special is it's set up like we 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 have the access to the all the data that the CBS News has. Like it is set up so you can watch us and get all of the results. And, you know, you don't have to be flipping around. You can literally watch this show but it's hosted by someone who can actually say what you're feeling and don't have to be down the middle. You don't have to do both sides. You don't have none of that. It's it's you will have the actual real life certified results. And then someone who's basically saying what you're screaming at the TV is saying it on on the air. So uh, if we pull it off, that that's probably the most exciting part of it.
0: And I would imagine if you get stuck, you can always kind of air the Katy Perry message to America.
2: We'll have that queued up and ready to go.
0: There it
1: is. (laughs) Well, as you approach this in terms of tone, how are you viewing this differently from the show four years ago? I think there was some anxiety on that election night, but it's not anything in comparison to what some of us are feeling here. And then this is coming on top of seven, eight months that have been exhausting as hell do you have different responsibilities to the audience? Do you have a sense that audiences are looking and needing something different this time around?
2: Look, I think that's a dangerous way to go when you try to tailor the comedy based on trying to reflect that other than we're not defeatist. You know, we're 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 not coming into this night of like this is uh you know, this is the end of things or whatever. Like it's 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 a very upbeat um it's an up, it's an upbeat vibe because no matter what happens, you you push through like, you know, the, there is anxiety that's completely understandable. But no matter what happens on election night, you know, there will be a show the next night. There will be, you know, either some stuff we have to clean up or a fight that has to keep fighting. I mean, like th- this is so there, there is not a defeatist. Uh, vibe to the night. There is there is a uh, we are all in this together vibe no matter what this is. Um, that's that's super important to Stephen of, of just you know, that's been the last four years. Like it has not been a you know, woe is us, defeatist vibe. It is a, you know, let's, let's call this what it is and get through yeah. it together.
0: Yeah. And, you know, obviously you mentioned the CBS News corporate synergy there, but you also have the team from the Circus um, which also another Showtime show, um, coming by, what else do you have? You know, can, is there anything that you can say about what else you have planned in terms of special guests and, and what you're hoping that, that they bring to to the special?
2: I'm actually really excited about uh, the circus team because they are regular guests on the show. Um, I mean, I've known, I've known Heilman since my morning Joe days and, uh, you may not know this, but he did a live show with us a, little, a couple of years ago and dropped an F-bomb live on CBS and it did not get bleeped. Um, but, uh, it was after midnight, so it was okay. But now he can swear and it's fine because, you know, it's showtime. But, uh, we're very happy to have them on because they, they are regular guests and, um, Alex, uh, just is fantastic and Mark. And so that's fun. um, we Charlemagne, the god, um, will be doing something uh, more than just being a guest. Um, he's going to be doing a little bit of commentary, which you'll see him in a way that he hasn't been seen before. And that, um, that's really special. It's going to be very cool. And then Steven might check in with some of his friends. And I'm Not Being Coy um, literally has not been decided yet. Uh, but we, we, have that, we have that possibility and we have a very cool uh, musical guest that has already taped something that I can't say, but it's it's uh, it's
1: very cool. And, and does the bunker reduce the possibility for large scale musical production numbers slash random naked people wandering through?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's only it's the same room where we do the show from. So it's, <laughs> it's not a bunker. It's this little room. And it is me, the stage manager and Steven. And those are the only only people in there. Uh, we looked at we looked at doing something on the roof we looked at um, you know we have a we have a little bit of an area in another part of the building where someone you know like the charlemagne thing might be coming from but no the during the live broadcast uh, there will be no one in that room other than the three of us and we all wow. have to get tested every day and all that stuff
0: so you've had now you know seven months of dealing with remote productions and everything else and all of the, the quote unquote joys that come with that, you know, is, are there any lessons that you've picked up in, you know, in, in the past few months now that, that have really helped you prepare for what you're going to do on election night?
2: Well, it, it's a great question because I think what Steven has, you know, the evolution of the performance in that you, you have to completely change your gear to do the show without an audience, and I will, you know, immodestly say he's done a fantastic job of that. But what that means is he's become much more intimate uh with the the people at home because that's who that's who he's playing to. This the the these the, he's, he's really relating almost almost like a podcast, what you guys do. Like you're you're relating in a one on one way to the viewer. And I think that is gonna serve us very well um Tuesday night because if you're watching us it's because you want along with information you want like you you're you're in for the emotion of it as well you know the emotion that you're not going to get from a news broadcast and and the format of him speaking directly into the camera relating directly to the to the audience at home I think lends itself to really having that emotional connection on a night where people I think really want it People really want to feel like they're part of a community of of experiencing what's what's happening, because you can tell by the uh, just the ramped up voting and the engagement that this is a we always say, oh, elections matter. And you kind of go, yeah, yeah, sure. But like, wow, we have learned in the last four years that elections matter and they have consequences. And and he's been so engaged with his audience almost exactly for four years and now in a very intimate way is going to be able to relate with them on election night. And that's that's been the biggest takeaway from from doing this in quarantine.
1: I'm always struck by the fact that a good late night host has to be able to have several different kind of personas, they have to be able to respond to different circumstances in different ways, sometimes be serious, sometimes be, you know, flippant and glib. Uh, Are you surprised by how many different Stevens there seem to be? Because it it seems like he really has, I would say, more than your usual number of personae for a late night host.
2: Yeah, although I would I would argue that he's I think one of the reasons he's resonated with the audience is he's authentic. And if you look at a human being, we all have different quote unquote personas right like we're we we we're all different peoples to to match a moment and I think that's what he does he matches the moment in an authentic way because he really is himself he's not he's not playing stephen Colbert he's Stephen Colbert and sometimes he's pointed and sometimes he's silly and sometimes he's angry and sometimes he's happy sad what just like any, any of us are. And I think that's been what's been really special about how he's evolved as a late night host is it's like, whether if he's talking about kids in cages, he's angry and pointed, you know? If he's doing a meanwhile, or quarantine while, as we call it now, like, he's he's being silly and laughing at like a sexual innuendo that's funny. Like, it's just, he's just like a normal human being. And I think that's what people are relating to. And I think, you, you know, we'll see... He doesn't sit back and, and like, OK, I think for this joke, I have to be like this. I think for this topic, I'm, I'm going to need to be like this. What you're seeing is a very real and raw range of emotions. And that's why no matter what happens on Tuesday night, like you'll you'll get exactly how he's feeling.
0: Well, I'm um, kind of getting to the end of our interview here. But what's the one thing that you really, really want to see happen on Tuesday night on your show on the special?
2: I would like for us to come on the air at 11 and not know. And then at around 11.50, absolutely no.
0: The whole the whole gamut of emotions in 50 that's, minutes. That,
2: yeah, that's what I I think look, we'll we'll be prepared for anything, but it would be wonderful if the inverse of 2016 happened. In that, you know, we went on and we were like, oh, let's see, oh God. As opposed to, let's come on, let's have no idea, but then something happens that that we can see the raw emotion from Steven, but in the other direction. That That is the one thing uh, I, I really hope happens. Exactly.
1: And our standard last question for these interviews is always, what are you watching and enjoying? But maybe a different version of the question here is, what are you watching as an escape from all of this, given how immersed you have to be at this moment?
2: You know what I'm really enjoying is uh, my wife, Kind of got me hooked on this is the uh, Stars version of the Nexium Cult stuff. Like it's, it, it's it's actually I, uh, it, I I know there's like 25 different versions of of this, but I'm finding and I wish I remember the title of it. But the one that's on Stars, I'm I'm watching it and it's so crazy that
1: it's a very nice escape. <laughs> that is your escape is the Nexium Cult documentary.
2: Yeah, that and my children make me uh, uh, seduced. Exactly. And that and my children um, love The Good Place. So um, my 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 two sons and I will watch that. And just uh, when you talk about escape, A, it's a good show. But B, to watch them enjoying it uh, is is kind of a nice escape as well. So
1: two very polar opposite ends of the spectrum. (laughs) Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it, Chris. Yeah, thanks
2: for taking the time to do this. It's it's going to be great. Um, and I, I really hope people tune in. It, it'll it'll be very special.
0: Stephen Colbert's Election Night 2020 Democracy's Last Stand Building Back America Great Again Better 2020 special airs at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific on Tuesday Election Day. Number five. And as usual, we wrap things up with the Critics Corner. Among this week's major new launches are Truth Seekers on Amazon, Somebody Feed Phil at Netflix, Be Positive and the rest of Chuck Lorre's CBS comedies, The Good Doctor returns on ABC, and a little show called The Mandalorian launches its second season on Disney+, Plus. Dan, but no screeners.
1: Indeed. So as of this second at which we are recording this, I have not seen a second of the new season of The Mandalorian. As of the time that this actually drops into your podcasting feed, I might have seen a half hour of The Mandalorian. And maybe by the time you get around to listening it, I will have written a brief review of that half hour. But I can't say anything about it right now. So whatever.
0: Yeah, man, the lack of review, you know, I I get it. You know, we're in a in a a rare error. And we're lucky enough to get screeners on a lot of these shows. But a lot of reporters work really, really hard to honor embargoes. People got episodes early last season, no, nothing leaked. And yet this thing is top secret. And, you know, I, I feel for for all the recappers out there who, who have to stay up until midnight to watch the episode and then write at midnight.
1: Yeah, it's so it's definitely not to the convenience of people who are attempting to cover the show. But I guess the way that Disney Plus looks at it is what they did last year Largely worked, and for the premiere, there were no screeners for anyone, and that was presumably because they were worried that some hints. Well, they would they get did
0: a, do they did do a premiere party, and they right where they screened the first couple episodes, I believe.
1: I, I, or I don't pre, think, or
0: It was like a screening event. It was yeah, a press event, or so. But it,
1: but it was not before, and so that was the that was the issue is that I think they were afraid about Baby Yoda spoilers, basically, and you know, but I can I can honor that. Uh, anyway, so. That's a lot of talk about a show that I don't know anything about the second season of. Um, So, yes, in terms of scripted shows, Truth Seekers uh, comes from the creative team, a creative team led by Nick Frost, Simon Pegg, uh, who created the show with James Serafinowicz and Nat Saunders. And it is a semi-scary, semi-dramatic, semi-comedic look at, some bumbling ghost hunters in in the UK uh and sort of the potential for some sort of global paranormal event uh, it's hard to it's hard to describe basically Nick Frost and Simon Pegg know how to do programming that straddles the line between being kind of a genre spoof or a genre satire, but also honor the rules of the genre. And so you look at something like Shaun of the Dead and something like Hot Fuzz, and they are simultaneously very, very funny, but they're also very good representatives of the genre. They are. This is trying to do the same thing. And I would say that it is not wholly successful, but it's a little scary and it's a little funny. And so there's some value in that. You know, you look at the things that have tried doing one or the other, and it's not that easy. Something like Hulu's Hellstrom is just trying to be scary, and it doesn't succeed at all. Uh, there was the Adam Scott, Craig Robinson sitcom on Fox Ghosted a couple of years ago. That was just trying to be funny. It didn't succeed at that at all. So this is a little bit successful, but it's it's definitely not a must watch kind of thing. It's just a if you're looking for a little bit scary programming, whatever. Uh, the, the best thing that's coming out this weekend is the, the fourth season of Somebody Feed Phil on Netflix. If people don't know it, uh, Phil Rosenthal created Everybody Loves Raymond for for CBS, had a wild run of success with that, and he spent the past couple of years traveling the country and traveling the world, just sort of making friends and eating food and being deliriously happy to be doing it. And it's it's a little bit in the vein of the Anthony Bourdain model of if you can understand people through food, you can understand their culture and you can understand their humanity kind of thing. But it's different because of Phil Rosenthal's particular sensibility, which is a little bit Borscht Belt a lot nerdy, and mostly just so wildly open and friendly. And I rewatched about half of the show at the beginning of quarantine. Then there was a new season that was only a few months ago. And now it's back for five more episodes. And this is just a show that is so warm and approachable and full of love and heart. Every single episode has a moment that makes me tear up with the emotion just at at how happy and open it is. And there, there is something semi rueful about the sense that this is not the world that we exist in anymore. You know, it's not a world where you can go around traveling and hugging new people and gathering at crowded restaurants and everyone passing around food with their hands and all of that. We, we don't live in that world at this point. And that is extremely sad. And it's the reality. But watching somebody feed Phil never fails to make me feel good about humanity. And it never fails to show me new restaurants I would love to go to if I ever get to travel again. So this new season goes as far away as Rio de Janeiro and Singapore, but it's as nearby as San Francisco, the Mississippi Delta. So he he covers a lot of ground. He makes new friends everywhere he goes. And it, it's just such a good show. And it's such a a good show in the sense of doing good and being good. And I find that so important. He ends every episode talking to his his father via Skype from whatever hotel he's staying at. And his father is old, but his father always has a joke to tell him. It is just such a reassuring show about the state of humanity. And I need that for a couple hours every week or month. And I assume a lot of people do as well. So in in terms of what I would recommend to people this weekend, sure, you could watch some documentary about COVID-19 in preparation to be angry on Tuesday night. And sure, you could watch some horror programming of some sort. But honestly, Somebody Feed Phil is, is a show that will actually make you feel good about the bare bones of humanity and also a little bit hungry. And so, yeah, that that is definitely my biggest recommendation of the week.
0: Well, for more of Dan's weekly recommendations, be sure to subscribe to THR's Now See This newsletter. That feels like a good place to wrap things up. Thanks for listening to TV's top five, the Hollywood Reporters TV podcast.
1: Be sure to subscribe on all of your various podcasting platforms. If you like us, rate us. If you really like us, write a little reviewy thing. We've been asking y'all to do that, and you guys have been coming through big time, and we gotta say, again, we appreciate the hell out of it. It really does mean stuff both to us, but also to the powers that be. So thank you for that. Uh, If you want to come say hi to us, we're always on Twitter and always happy to chat, but if you have questions for future mailbag segments, and we might need them in the weeks to come, you can email us at TV's Top 5 at THR.com. That's TV's Top 5, the number 5 at THR.com. Until next week, Leslie.
0: Until next week, Dan. Go vote, everybody.